Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. Randy is the Executive Director for Deluxe On Demand, and he's going to chat with us today a little bit about the part of the production process you've rarely seen. Given the business that I got into, the next logical thing for me was to move to Los Angeles, and I just thought it might be better to uh, go for the, the bigger step and see so I can compete in, in, a, in the big world. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? You can't give up. You, you know, you got a good idea, keep talking. You need to get in with some people that can understand what you're talking about. And, you know, it's no sense pitching all your great ideas to people that don't care. you got to find who's going to care, who's going to buy it. There's much more to it than just hanging your shingle out there. You, you have to work for it. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Hello, world, and welcome to Monetizing Your Creativity. It's Fred Keating here, co-host, co-producer. My pal Marvin Polis has gone walkabout today Marvin's wandering the streets of Hollywood, and I'm out in Burbank, California, with my friend Randy Berg. Randy is the executive director for Deluxe On Demand, and he's going to chat with us today a little bit about the part of the production process you've rarely seen, which is what happens after the images are captured in the camera and prior to you seeing all those wonderful effects on screen. Randy, thank you so much for taking the time and inviting me to your beautiful backyard uh, full of uh, whispering palms and bamboo and a nifty little pool. Thanks for being with us. Welcome to uh, California. I am so glad to be here. (laughs) I have to tell you, Randy, I can't understand why you aren't raising wheat in Saskatchewan, because that's where you're from originally, aren't you? Uh, Yes, I grew up in Saskatchewan, happened to be allergic to the uh, grain dust, so I thought I must leave, uh, unfortunately, the prairies, and uh, actually got into uh, the oil business in Edmonton. Back when I was young, that's that's where a young man went to find really any opportunity uh, if you wanted to get out of that grain field kind of thing, so it was a good move for me at the time. Got a job right away at a factory at uh, Imperial Oil, making fertilizer. Got the odd chance to start working in uh, production. They always have a need for training materials. Uh, I guess somebody recognized that I could write long memos when it needed to be had. So I was like, hey, that, that kid can write. So I actually, they gave me an opportunity to do some training. I learned how to do uh, video production and writing manuals. The, the lights started going on as far as, you know, what I didn't have to be on the end of a shovel or, you know, loading a truck uh, for my career. So that opportunity kind of got me where I am today. How did you get from Edmonton, Alberta, to where you are now. What were some of the milestones in your career as you learned and adapted and and improved upon a variety of systems as well? Sometimes it's a matter of location. I think uh, had I stayed in uh, Alberta, I would have had a great career working in the uh, chemical business. There's a lot of things you can do there as far as training and entertainment. And, you know, there would have been some pretty great opportunities through those years. But uh, I was more drawn to the... uh, the animation side of things. That's really what, when I saw what the computer can do as far as animation, it's like, that's got a hold of for me. Even though I was horrible at conceiving such things, it it just, that's where I figured I needed to be. What occasioned then the move south? I just grew up loving California and everything about California. I think I can point to perhaps Disney is probably the biggest single reason that, you know, just 
Disney had all these shows and they were all about California and it was just wow that's really wouldn't that be a great life and it is the place you want to be and it just that just you know I grew out of a fascination for cars and California and just the the lifestyle down here and really I had no real hope of of getting here or or dream I mean it was just something that would have been nice but given the business that I got into the next logical thing for me was to move to Los Angeles but I just thought it might be better to uh, go for the the bigger step and see so I can compete in in, a, in the big world. So tell us a bit about Deluxe, what it does that we don't see but end up appreciating, and how you got in with the Deluxe Corporation and what that did in terms of putting you on a, a face-to-face basis with folks from Disney and MGM and Warner Brothers and a number of other big studios. We're the biggest company in the world at what we do. We uh, do most of the uh, post-production for the uh, film uh, major studios of the top eight studios. We do patchwork of almost all the work, right from digital cinema, dailies. We're on set on, on a lot of movies, getting the production work. We have a home entertainment division that puts out a lot of the Blu-rays and DVDs and a lot of, every, you know, the movie production is now all on digital. So if it comes out to your phone and your iPad and your Android and this and that, you need 30 different versions now just to get it out to the market. And your company provides those 30 different versions? All day long. It's And if you can imagine, all the TV shows out there are now getting out onto some kind of online service. Our particular division does over 5 million minutes a month of uh, encoding, transcoding services that just happens almost automatically. So it's just a scale that is hard to even imagine. Very briefly, and I'm going to ask you back, I'm warning you right now, because I know there's a a ton more of information that people would like to hear about this invisible industry. At least it's invisible to, uh, to me. And can you just give us a little rundown of the various types of occupations? If we were walking down a corridor at the deluxe offices where you are, the different kinds of offices we'd pass with people doing various types of jobs. What kinds of occupational opportunities exist within that post-production category? And pre-production is everything that happens before they start to shoot in the camera. The script, any sort of casting, any sort of writing, uh, location, scouting, anything like that that needs to be in place prior to the camera starting to, uh, to capture images. Then the production part of the production process is gathering all the images, either uh, from animators or, in fact, from shooting them with with various cameras. And lastly, uh, the third stage is post-production. What are all the different types of specialties in post-production we should be aware of, Randy? Well, when you're at the the Hollywood feature film level, we call these services, you know, end-to-end, and at least what we do. It starts from getting the film right off the, the camera back, basically. You know, you've got to have some crew or team responsible for getting those images transferred, put into the right places where they need to go. The amount of uh, storage alone that we need nowadays, I mean, it's just, there's, there's, it's not just about creativity anymore. There's so much more that you have to tie into all this kind of stuff. You know, you've got a camera guy, you've got images, you've got the process starts. You always have to have enough storage for these kinds of things. There's script people. There's subtitling, uh, subtitling for theatrical. You've got to do all that for 
Blu-ray, DVD, online services. The, you know, the FCC here has mandated that you need to have all of your television shows have subtitles, so there's just a massive industry for that. Uh, do you also uh, do foreign language versions? We do, absolutely, yes. And, and uh, that largely stems from the uh, home entertainment side of the business, where the you know, a company like Disney or Paramount, Universal, they'll make Minions 2, and that movie will go out all around the world. They'll make all these disc images that go on the, the DVDs and the Blu-rays, uh, here in Burbank, they make them with multiple languages for different territories. So we'll we have a network of people uh, over 2,000 around the world that are in territory. So what happens with uh, that in particular is there are movie stars have their voices around the world. So in a particular country, Germany has their own Tom Cruise, for instance. So you have to use that guy for to dub in Tom Cruise as, as an example. So this happens all around the world. So there's a huge, massive infrastructure just to get a movie into a foreign language around the world. So there's dubbing, there's mixing, there's just, I mean, Burbank is just chock-a-block full of buildings, full of all of these people working on all these films here. All of these various departments, I, I must tell you that one of the recurring themes on the podcast series is that uh, when when people are trying to figure out whether or not they know they want to get into the movie industry or the entertainment or media somehow and aren't quite sure what they may want to do or what they're currently doing is is marketable, we try to remind them to think about what it is they currently really, really love doing, whether it's artistic, whether it has to do with set design or drawing or performing or music or even the business side of accounting or promotions or marketing the IT side and this whole digital universe that uh, you've been living in and helping to develop for the last 25 years. We encourage them to think about what they currently love doing, and if you can get a salary paid you for doing what you love, you never work a day in your life. No, that's it's very important to get in. If You've got a long career ahead of you when you're just starting out, and it's very important to find something that you do love. There's nothing worse than perhaps going and getting a degree in something that isn't going to mean much to you, you know, down the road. And forgive me for saying that, but, you know, there's lots of opportunities today. There's probably way more opportunities for for young people today than when I was growing up. People don't need big companies anymore. You know, you can do everything yourself. your, Your phone does more than our whole com- you know, computer system did when we were growing up. You need to figure out what, what you want to do, you know, what your interests are, and build on that and, and go down that path. There are plenty, you know, in any business, there are plenty of different paths that go. And, uh, you know, if you are not a great creative person, you can hang out with great creative persons by being a great accountant or, you know, being somebody that has other skills that can support that kind of thing. You know, I've always been in creative businesses, but I think I'm only middle of the road when it comes to actually being creative. But the key is to surround yourself with people that are the best at being creative, and that just goes with everything. You want to surround yourself with the best people. I should remind people where we are right now. We're out in Randy's backyard. The lovely whistling, whispering palms and bamboo that you're hearing, it's gorgeous, but the late afternoon winds are coming in, so if you hear rustling and birdsong in the background, it's because we're thoroughly enjoying this particular exterior location in beautiful Burbank, California. Randy, you were talking earlier about the different technical kinds of occupations that employees at Deluxe do. And what I'd like to do is ask you, and we know that technical skills are so important and you have to be the among the best at what you do or you won't last long in this particular business. But technical skills can be taught and practiced. There are some other 
aspects of the business that Marvin often refers to as softer skills. That is those character traits or personal traits that uh, perhaps came from your background, your, your family, the kinds of things that make you, for want of a better phrase, help you play well with others. Can you tell me what some of the characteristics you have that you feel have done you well in the variety of environments that you've worked in over the last few decades and what you'd recommend young people wanting to get into the industry, uh, how they, in fact, start to exercise those muscles as well. What helped you and continues to help you succeed? The, the biggest thing is to, you know, find out or be able to get along with, 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 with everybody and be able to communicate with various different people. So that, that's kind of been where I'm, I'm at. I can talk to the executive and then communicate something with the, the, the middle management and then talk with, uh, you know, the production people, the IT people, that kind of thing. I can talk at all levels and, you know, don't get stuck in, in one train of thought. You have to um, determine your own future. You have to be self-motivated. And when somebody tells you no, I think, you know, one of the big things is you're going to, you know, when you're young, you know, nobody respects you and, you know, everything's all predetermined for you. But... You don't, you know, the no isn't always the answer. And if you just dig hard enough, you can sometimes prove people wrong. And I think that's one of the things where I was always able to, whenever somebody said no, it was like, okay, well, I'm doubling down on that. It's like you really start working harder when, when the going gets tough. And uh, this isn't about any one skill uh, or trade in particular. It's just those that survive, they, they're the ones that didn't quit. They just keep working. And they, when somebody tells you no, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to prove it's no or I'm going to prove it's yes, one of those two. And if it's no, then i got to find a different strategy and i got to go do something else. If it's yes, it's okay. I made a, you know, I, I won a little step here and I can, you know, you know, get some credit for that, move on to, you know, make, make a lot of positive change. And sometimes that's required. You know, a lot of things are done the old way. Nowadays, you don't know what some... 15-year-old kid is baking up in his in his basement. You really don't know. Google didn't exist 15 years ago. A lot of these companies, Apple, they were struggling through, you know, through the times when they were making their early computers. So you never know who's going to win. You never know who's going to lose. You just need to be on the right side of that. And if you do lose, you just dust yourself off and learn stuff and get on the winning track for the next time. So in other words, if you don't like your circumstances, change them. You are the architect of your own career really you you you're writing your own story don't be afraid to take the steps you feel are necessary to change the environment that you're in or the circumstances that you're in yes and again that's that's within limit you you can't just change the world by by being there you have to actively participate in it you know you've got to work with people you can have the greatest idea in the world but if nobody's listening to you it's it's worth nothing you you can't give up you you know you got a good idea you know, you might need to park it for a while, but keep talking. You need to get in with some people that can understand what you're talking about. And, you know, it's no sense pitching all your great ideas to people that don't care. you got to find who's going to care, who's going to buy it. There's much more to it than just hanging your shingle out there. You, you have to work for it. As my absent co-host Marvin Polis always says, it's a team sport. Now, you just started to mention, again, the necessity of, of gathering around you support of the people who can help. Absolutely. And, and again, you aren't going to have all the skills you need to do everything that needs to get done in any particular business or vein of life, really. It's, you know, you really need to seek out the best ideas and, and the best people and make some informed decisions when you get out into the world. Randy Berg, Executive Director, Deluxe On Demand. Thank you so much for uh, allowing me 
through the gate and the opportunity to share you and your expertise with our listeners. Thanks, Randy. It's great to see you again. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.